I am blessed again to be in your midst. Service has been a blessing. The hospitality of this church is sweet and precious. And it has been good to have sweet fellowship. Yes. We'll open the Word of God to the Gospel according to Matthew again. Chapter 24. I call your attention to verse 35. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ. In which He said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Question. Do we have all the words of our Lord Jesus Christ Amen. that He intended for us to have? Amen. We must have, or He spoke untruth, didn't He? Well, another question. Do we have in our King James Bible the verbally inspired Word of God? We do. And I'll show you that in a moment. Many are hesitant to ask, answer this. Well, preacher, you don't believe those translators were inspired? No, no I don't. No. I don't believe the writers were inspired. No. It's the words yeah. that are inspired. Yes, sir. We misspeak when we say the inspired writer wrote. I like what Dr. Crawford used to say. <laughs> he said, if the writers were inspired, when they wrote their grocery list out, you had an inspired grocery list. <laughs> The words, not the writers, are inspired. The Lord Jesus made it very plain here in our text that we have all of His words, yes. the words that He intended for us to have. There's not one word lacking. And He further asserts in the other parts of the Scripture that the words that we do have are verbally inspired yes. of God. God did not leave the writers free no. to choose their own words. I hear it argued. Well, you see, John had one style, Luke had another, Matthew yet another, and Mark another. That's why we have four Gospels. Do you mean to tell me that John cannot speak the same words, the same truth in different words? He did not depend upon their writing styles. No. He is the one who breathed out the Word. Yes. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Yes. Now the Greek word translated inspiration means God breathed. Yes. His words have the, His breath on them. Yes. You know what that means. Give me some onions for lunch and you'll smell the onions <laughs> in my breath. His breath is on every word yes. of the Scripture. Yes. In the Gospel according to John, chapter 14, our Lord taught a very important truth with regard to the Word of God. In verse 26, He said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in My name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Well, couldn't the apostles have somehow forgotten some of the words that He said? Mm -hmm. I'm sure they did. The Holy Spirit did. Amen. And the Holy Spirit is the one who gave them the words yes. that we have. In chapter 16 of this same Gospel of John, looking at verses 13 through 15, we are further told, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, 
He will guide you into all truth. Not partial truth. All truth. For He shall not speak of Himself. Now, I want to point out something here. I've heard people say, the Holy Spirit never talks about Himself. That's not what the text says. Everything you know about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit revealed it in the Word of God. He did not speak of Himself as a source. But He rather, as it says here, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. You see, the Holy Spirit was not out on a separate mission than the Father and the Son, right. but rather was in harmony with them. Yes, sir. And then his work was to do what? To glorify Christ. Mm -hmm. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. Any glorifying of God that we do, it is because the Holy Spirit is working in us to right. do Amen. that very work. So, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 give to us additional insights concerning the Word of God. Here we're told, knowing this first, that no prophecy. Now, I want to make an explanation about prophecy here. We hear the word prophecy, we think about foretelling. Really, the Word speaks of foretelling. Yes. Foretelling. So it's not speaking and limited to what to future events. Knowing this first, that, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. And that doesn't mean that you can't understand the Word of God. It means you're not to isolate any one verse from all the rest of the verses in the Scripture that have the same subject. You do not have the full truth until you have studied all of the passages that deal with the particular subject that you are dealing with. For the prophecy came not at all time by the will of man. Men did not design it, devise it, nor give it to us. It comes from God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost moved them to speak these words. So this is why we say the words not the writers were inspired. In the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 23, we are given further insight concerning how inspiration works. David said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, the 2 Samuel 23, 2, and His Word was in my tongue. Let's turn to Jeremiah 36. There's an incident there recorded concerning the Word of God. And uh, a king who took the scroll that God had given to Jeremiah, the words of God that he had given to Jeremiah, Jeremiah recorded, and Jehoiakim took those words and threw them into the fire. Yes. But I want you to know here the story. Let's look at 36 of Jeremiah, verses 1 through 4. Came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord. Where did the word come from? The Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of the book and write therein all the words that I have spoken, not that you've spoken, that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spake unto thee from the days of Josiah even unto this day. Now, we have him, the Lord speaking to him and writing these words. And, and in verse 4, Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jer Jeremiah all the words of the Lord. Now he used uh, someone to do the copying of his words. 
The words he spoke, though, were not his own. They were the words that had come from the Lord, and they were written down. Amen. That's how we have received the word of the Lord. Drop down to verse 20, and the Bible references that the, the princess said to Baruch, Go hide thou and thy, thee, thou Jeremiah, let no man know thee where ye be. And they went into the king and to the court, but they led up the road of the chamber of Elisha, the scribe, and told all the words in the ears of the king. So the king sent Jehudai to fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elisha of the scribe's chamber. And Jehudai read it in the ears of the king, and in the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudai had read three or four leaves, he cut it with his penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth, until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the earth. He thought to destroy the Word of God. Understand this, no one can destroy the Word of God. No. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The Lord Jesus very clearly declared. Now drop down to verses 27 and 28, and here we're told the Lord gave this instruction to Jeremiah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after that the king had burnt the roll of the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah, saying, Take thee again another roll and write in it all the former words that were in the first roll which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, hath burned. There was one word that was lost. Every word was preserved. And finally we read in verse 32, Then Jeremiah uh, uh, then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it unto Baruch, the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and there was added likewise besides, added besides unto them many like words. I could not, if I were called upon, to repeat word for word what I've said already to this point. I could not do that. But the Lord can. Right. And the Lord does not miss a word, right. nor does He forget one word. Well, but preacher, you don't believe that King James Version is, is inspired. You'd say the writers or the translators were inspired. Let me point out this fact. Translating the Word of God accurately does not disinspire Come on. Him. That's right. His yeah. words are inspired. Come on. Now I'm going to give you an illustration of it. Open your Bibles to Psalm 110, Psalm 110, and we're going to look at what this verse says, and then we're going to go to the New Testament, and we want to look at Matthew 22-44. I'm going to get both of those places together here so that we'll do it quickly. And uh, I lost my place. I'll be right back there in just a minute. 22 and 44, but first Psalm 110. Psalm 110 says, The Lord said unto my Lord. Now if you're reading that in the Hebrew text, Yehovah said unto my Adonai. Okay? Now in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, and verse 44, Jesus brought up this matter to the Pharisees. Whose son do you think you that Christ is? Who is he? They said to him, the son of David. Verse 43, he saith unto them, How did David in spirit called him Lord say the Lord said unto my Lord okay now when you read this you do not have the distinction in the words Lord that you have in the Old Testament except the King James translators yes. use full caps for Jehovah right. and they use the, the uppercase L and lowercase ORD for Adonai yes. but the reading here is exactly as it is in the Greek Septuagint 
the Septuagint is the translation of the Old Testament out of the Hebrew into the Greek. And so you have here, the Lord, or Kyrios, said unto my Kyrios. That is a quotation from a translation. And yet it is inspired of God. These things sometimes men overlook because they develop belief systems and then they bow down and worship their own belief systems as if if, if it were the final standard. Our belief system is not the final standard. The Word of God is. So, men will claim that we only have God's inspired Word in the original autographs. That sounds so scholastic and so, so, such a scholarly statement that men have devised. I was in a fellowship years ago. Many of you know who it is because I think this church was in the same one. And they decided that they would adopt a new statement of faith. And they put in this new statement of faith the words of Scripture from the original autographs are inspired. And I told some of the brethren, I said, you just disinspired the Bible that we use. Mm-hmm. Because you claim the Bible that we use, the King James Version, is not the inspired God, Word of God. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to ask when I hear men make statements like this, who are we to trust, God or men? I read in Jeremiah 17 and 5, Cursed is the man that trusteth in man. Right. But in 17, 7, I read, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord. Yes. I've learned a long time ago, you can trust the Lord what He says. Amen. You better be careful about the word of men because they're not going to change the next day and say something different. Yes, so there, there are many who will insist that some of the words of Jesus have been lost. But the scholars, thanks to me to the scholars, they say by our efforts, we have restored 99% of the original words. Isn't that amazing? They've restored what Jesus said would never pass away. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And by the way, 99%, how many of you would like to have your water today, 99% water and 1% straight night? <laughs> you don't like that, do you? No. We have the words of God inspired, preserved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's some others that will argue, why do we even have all of the inspired books? Well, the Lord Jesus covered it all in Luke 24. And verse 44, when he said, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. That's the first five books of the Bible. That's the way the Old Testament is divided, the Old Hebrew Bible. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. And then you have the prophets. And then you have the Psalms. And that covers the whole book. And uh, the Psalms now, there's a number of other books rather than Psalms. You've got Proverbs, you've got Ecclesiastes, you have have, uh, the books of Chronicles, all in that section if you ever look at the Hebrew Bible. He was covering the whole extent of the Scriptures when he made that statement. Christ's words are the only eternally enduring possessions that God's people have other than their eternal life. These two things we will have forever. Our eternal life and the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Because first of all, we know from what he said in Matthew 24, 35, that the heavens and the earth are not enduring. Heaven and earth shall pass away. Well, why will they pass away? Job 15 and 15 says, for even the heavens are not clean in his sight. Psalm 102 and verse 26. I want you to know here how the Lord compares the, in the word, how he speaks of the heavens. He says, they shall perish, but thou shalt endure. God is enduring, the heavens are not. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they <coughs> shall be changed. Not only from that passage do we read that truth, but in Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 6, we're told again, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke and the earth shall wax old like a garment. And they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Why would the Lord create a new heaven and earth? The earth has been the scene of great bloodshed and atrocities. You know, even among fallen men, when there's a certain building where there have been people have been slaughtered or murdered, they tend to want to abolish that building thereafter. People do not want to buy a house where there has been a mass murder. We understand that that which has been the scene of great evil is destroyed often. And so it will be with the heavens and the earth. And uh, the heavens and the earth will flee away from the throne of God when the Lord sits upon His great white throne that from which the heavens and the earth flee away, we're told in Revelation 20 and 11. Well, how will the heavens and the earth pass away? Well, you've heard about a big bang. You've heard about the big bang theory. And uh, it's going to be uh, one of the biggest atomic explosions you've ever seen. Yeah. It will be destroyed. Second Peter 3, 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You know, when the scripture says in the book of Colossians, by Christ all things consist, or all things adhere, they're all held together. What holds the atom together? The scientists have had some issue on how to figure that out. Why does the atom held together? I'll tell you who holds it together. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he holds, no longer holds it together, it's going to go out in a big bang, if I may use that expression. In verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as the thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. You know, if I were a scientist, the first book I would always go to would be the Bible. Because you can count on every statement that is made pertaining to scientific things as being exactly right. Men have always been trying to catch up. Men believed the earth was flat one of these days. didn't they? They believed that for a long time. Doctors in 1799, you know how George Washington died? He was, his physician came in. He had a case, what they would claim today is mononucleosis. And uh, he, he had that, that problem. And they let out blood. And he died from bloodletting. What did the Bible say about blood and the flesh? The life of the flesh yeah. is in the blood. Always the Word of God is right. 
You watch the weather reports and you see how the air circulates and the, the jet stream, they talk about the jet stream. The Bible speaking about that in the book of Ecclesiastes, the first chapter a long time ago. It's always new and always has been right. Men have always had to try to catch up with the Word of God. Verse 11 says in 2 Peter 3, 3, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? And then looking further here, he says, Looking for and hasting the coming of the day of God, where the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to this promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So there will be a brand new heaven and earth. John saw it in Revelation chapter 21. A new heaven and a new earth. While the heavens and the earth are not enduring, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ are. He says here in our text once again, no, heavens and heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The plural words denote all of the teachings, all of the things that he taught and he preached. He is called the Word as the second person of the Godhead. He is called the Word. He's called the Son. He's begotten in His manhood, the Son of God. Not begotten God, not begotten in His deity, or you'd have a begotten God. By the way, I'll point out, if you read a modern Bible, especially the New American Standard Version, you read John 1.18, and they taught a begotten God. God is neither begotten. He's without beginning or end. That's right. And they, the way John 1.18 reads in the King James Bible, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son yes. is in the bosom of the Father. He had declared Him. But the New American Standard Bible reads, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father hath declared it. Talk about corrupting the yeah. Word of God. That has been the case, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father. God has spoken His final word through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one through whom He has spoken the finality of His word. We have no further need of any other so-called book. You know, the, the Mormon missionaries came to my door some years ago in California. And uh, they, they said... Uh, you have any questions about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? I said, yes, I do. How come you do not believe your own book? Well, what do you mean? I just happen to have a Book of Mormon, and I have the books, uh, some passages in the Book of Mormon marked so that I can show it to them because they don't believe their own book. Because, see, the Book of Mormon teaches that God cannot change. They teach that God changes. They there's a many, number of things like that. And uh, so they, they, they wanted to visit and talk about those things. Well, it's a matter of interpretation. It's a matter of interpretation. I said, what, what is there to interpret? This is a plain statement. After we had had some discussion for a time, they said, well, we prayed, and we have, we have decided that Joseph Smith was a prophet. 
I said, I prayed and determined that he's not. They no longer wanted to have any more to do. But, but they teach that the Book of Mormon is another testament of Christ. Yeah. Well, whenever you have another testament, that just nullifies the New Testament. Yes. If that, no. that testament of the Book of Mormon is correct, you just nullify the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Because the New Testament shows that the Old Testament was out. That covenant was abolished in Christ Jesus. Now, we use the Old Testament because it teaches principles. We use the Old Testament for types and examples, historical evidences of those things. It's true in everything that it says. But that was a conditional covenant that was for a time for Israel. We now have the new covenant, which is not conditional to us because our Lord Jesus met all the conditions Amen. of that covenant. And you and I have the benefit of that covenant. But Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 reads, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Amen. So the Lord Jesus Christ spoke, and not one of his words has passed away. You know, if one of his words, just one word, could pass away, then that would mean that he didn't tell the truth. But he can't lie. There's no other way in the world. You know, there's some things that God can't do. One of which is he can't lie. He can't change. He can't create another God. Because anything he creates is a creature. By the way, we're not beings. You hear this all the time, a human being. We're not beings, we're creatures. And we're adopted sons. We'll, we'll live forever. But we're created. We're not, anything that's created is a creature. It's not a being. God is a being. Yes. Understand that difference. We're going to be conformed to Him, but we're not going to be as the Mormon teaches little gods. See, their teaching is as Adam once, uh, or as, as God once was, Adam is. As God is, man shall become. You've got a changing God. See? And you've got a man becoming a God. We don't become gods. We're adopted sons of God. We're treated as equal heirs with the Son of God. But we are not gods. Not in that sense. And I, someone says, well, he spoke to them as little gods. God says to them, you're called little gods. That's because they were adopted. But they are not. They are not God like he is. He is a being. We are creatures. Just want to make that plain. And book, the book of Numbers, chapter 23, verse 19. Mr. Balaam, interesting character. Now, he spoke the truth because God was speaking through him. The problem with him was that he was covetous. And he wanted to, he wanted all that old Balak cut over him. But he didn't make this statement because the Lord made it through him. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? And hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? In Isaiah, the 40th chapter, concerning the matter of the words of the Lord, we read in verse 8 these words. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. 
Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So the Lord Jesus Christ, being God, His words are preserved in the word of God. And He is going to judge all men by His word. Yes. And in the, in the psalm of the word of God, Psalm 119, you have several synonyms for the word. Law, commandment, testimonies, precepts, and statutes, and judgments. Make an interesting study sometimes. Get your concordance and study the judgments of God. They're already set. Many people will say, we're not supposed to judge. You're judging. When you set forth the Word of God, you're setting forth God's judgments. Right. You're not judging. Now, if you develop your own belief system and you judge everybody by your belief system, then you'd be in error. Yeah. But when you proclaim the judgments of God, they're already established and the Lord is very gracious and long-suffering <coughs> to the wicked in that He has given them already that by which they shall be judged. Because when the time of judgment comes, and by the way, the Father has committed all judgment into the hands of the Son, right. John 5, 22. And when we, the time for the judgment comes of the wicked in the Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11, here we read of this particular judgment. The Bible says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Books. You know what the word Bible means? The books. Ta Biblia. And it, is, it means the books. Because this Bible consists of 66 books in which all of the judgments of God have been recorded. God is not going to pull some new principle and call men to be accountable for it. It is already established in His Word. He doesn't do like men do. You know, men like to play tricks, like to do things unjustly. God is a just and a righteous God. But I want you to see in the third place that the words of Christ will endure despite the efforts of men to destroy them. Men have ever sought to destroy God's Word. Paul was dealing with that particular matter in the, the second Corinthian letter in chapter 2, verse 17, when he said, For we're not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Why do men make new translations of the Bible? Because it's financially profitable. Follow the money. Pick any Bible you want to pick out, or as many as you want to pick out. NASB, NIV, ESV, and go on and on. Look in the front to see the copyright. Then open your King James Bible and look for the copyright. You won't find it. That's why they do it. But we're told scholarship has so advanced. Have you ever read about the men who translated the King James Bible? Serious stuff. Many of them wrote their devotionals in their either Greek or Hebrew. 
Now it's one thing to read Greek or Hebrew, it's another thing to write it. Because you've got to think like that. You tend to think in your native language. You've got to be a real student of a language to be able to put your thoughts in that, in the other language. And some of these guys did that. Now, the King James Bible, when it was translated, was translated not by one or two men. There was a committee of over 50 men. A few of them died before it was finished. But not only did they have certain companies of men that would take certain sections, then they would pass that section translated to other companies to go over and to check it out further. Not only that, but they also sent through the kingdom asking for anyone who had any kind of expertise in the languages to give any input they had. Not only did they do that, but they compared to all of the previous English translations that had been made. And they relied largely, they used, I should say, they didn't rely, they, re, they proved that the, some of the previous works were very thorough and very excellent and very good. And they used them and incorporated the translations of these men. It is so much different. The modern translations may have a committee, several of whom will be figureheads to raise money, and one or two men are doing all the translating. But we're told that it is because of the fact that man is progressing in his understanding. There's some of us that believe that man is regressing, not yes. progressing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's true when it comes to the Word of God. Yes. How is it that the King James Bible has endured over 400 years? Well, still the most popular version. How is it that Christianity has thrived in English-speaking countries under the King James Bible more than any of the others. You know, I've been in the ministry 63 years. When I started, you didn't have all of these versions. You had the King James Bible, and you had the Revised Standard Version. And the Revised Standard Version wasn't very popular except with the modernists. All of your fundamentalists, evangelicals, used the King James Bible. Then came out the New American Standard Bible. Now, there had been the English Revised Version of 1886. I'd like to see you find one of those. They're hard to find. You might find the American Revised Version of 1901. I found one. I have one. Okay? That was supposed to have been the translation that ended all translations. But so was the RSV. And then the NSV. And then the NIV. And the NIV has been translated several times and, re and uh, been upgraded. And then it's been set aside by the ESV. Yeah. And then there's the CBS. And so on and so on. And so what do we have? Confusion. God is not the author of confusion. No, 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 no. But preacher, that old language, we don't speak that way. You can learn to the language of the King James Bible very easily. Yeah. There's been people who says, but, but it's harder to understand. No, it isn't. And I'll show you why. In all the tests that they've done on level reading, the King James Bible comes in at the sixth grade level of reading. Lower than any of the modern versions because it uses more monosyllable words than do the modern ones. And words that you understand. Well, the words have changed their meaning. 
Well, that's what we preachers are should know and be able to do is to explain why the words have changed. You know why words change? The wicked change the meanings of words. They do that to cover up their sins. And they've come completely reversed certain words. We figure out which ones words they are. I believe in using the King James Bible. That's the Bible that I use. You'll, you'll be surprised to know that I preached out of the NASB for a while. Until I got my eyes open to what was in it. And I laid it on the shelf. Incidentally, when you read about the fact that the Vaticanus manuscript and the Sinaiticus manuscripts that underlie the new versions are older than the Texas Receptus, do you know why they're older? They weren't used. You see, before printing presses came along, everything was copied by hand. And the Texas Receptus copies outnumber all of those corrupted copies that Westcott and Hort used by hundreds. They outnumber them by hundreds. Very few of those old corrupt manuscripts exist. But the reason they're so old is they weren't used. If you come into my library, I'll show you my King James Bibles and I'll show you my New American Standard Bible. It looks like it's brand new because I didn't preach out of it very long. See? If you, it's, and I bought it in the 60s. So if you, if you do not use a Bible, it's not going to wear out. Well, this is the whole basis that they believe that the corrupted te texts are superior to the Texas Receptus because it's older. It goes to back to 400. And the Texas Receptus copies, the oldest ones that we have, go back to 900. So it must be more authentic. Well, you see, there's other ways of checking that out. Because the Bible is translated into many other languages. And what the ones that really study these things do is they compare all of these other languages. And guess what? All of these other old languages that they... The italic, the old italic, and many others, they agree with the Texas Receptus, which was the basis for the King James Bible. We have the oldest Word of God. Amen. Now, men have sought to corrupt the Scriptures, and they do that by removing certain words and certain verses. That's a no-no when it comes to the because the Lord warned against that many times. Yes. Look at Colossians 1.14. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin, even the forgiveness of sins. Do you know what words are taken out of that in your modern translation? Through His blood. Through His blood. You will die. It's missing in that verse. Yes. Here's an interesting thing. If you'd like to really have some, to make an impact teaching, I had four men or five men come up and I gave each one of them a Bible. I gave one a King James, I gave one an NASB, one an NIV, one another version, different ones. And we selected certain verses. And I would have the King James Bible man to read the verse. And then I would call on the other guys to read the same verse and they couldn't read. Because they couldn't find it. First John 5, 7. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. You won't find that in your modern version. You'll find it in the New King James, even in the footnote. It's not in the best manuscripts. What does that do? That undermines faith in the Word of God. That's what they do. 
They're very sly. That's the way the devil was. Try to find John 1, 8, 1 through 11. The case of the woman taken yes. in the act of adultery. Try yes. to find that in your modern version. You'll not find it in the Word of God. God's Word is not to be diminished. It is not to have anything taken from it. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2 reads this. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you. That is a no-no. We do not in any way try to take from the word of God. And there are others that have corrupted the word of God by adding other books to it. You'll find the books of the Apocrypha. Those are not books that God gave in His Word. They are not His Word. And so Proverbs chapter 30 addresses that issue where we read in verses 5 and 6, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Add thou not unto His words, lest He reprove thee and thou be found a liar. And preachers, we better be careful. Sometimes we want to add our belief system to the Word of God. And we want to believe it's not strict enough. I've encountered this news. Why the Word of God is not strict enough? I'll make it stricter by adding my Jesus to it. The Word of God is not strict enough. I don't know what we're thinking. Well, but there are other books mentioned in the Bible, preacher, that we do not have, and they're mentioned in the Bible. Yes, Paul mentions an epistle that he wrote to the Corinthians that we do not have. You're aware of that, are you not? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, yeah. verse 9. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to count me the fornicators. Why do we not have an epistle? Because it was inspired. Just because he wrote it didn't mean it was inspired. See? There's references in the book of Joshua, chapter 10, verse 13, to the book of Jasher. You ever read the book of Jasher? <laughs> There were no doubt people who wrote about things back then as they are today. Maybe they were preachers. I don't know. But just because their book is referenced in the Bible doesn't mean that it's inspired. God has preserved His Word. He has overseen that the fact that the canon of Scripture was established because He is the one who said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So all the words of Christ have been preserved for us in the text that is called the Textus Receptus. That means that's Latin for received text. All through the ages, God's people have known what the Word of God is because the Holy Spirit resides in them, leads them, guides them. As many as are led of the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We trace the history back of that text to the Waldenses. They are our forefathers in the faith. Amen. This is the text that they use. Other ancient Christians used it. Luther got his text from the, the Texas Receptus and translated it. The Bible that was used by the Geneva Bible is the Bible that is from the Texas Receptus. All of the old English Bibles before the King James Bibles. They followed the Texas Receptus. And the King James Bible, when it was translated, was compared to all of these former translations. That's what you note at the very beginning. They not only spent years doing this, but, and incidentally, the words were updated again in the 1780s. I believe it was in that particular era that, it was, uh, uh, that the words were updated. 
It's the same translation. They just updated the, uh, the words, and that's the one we use. I have a 1611, and it's it's in the old print, the old English print, and the letters are a little different, and you have to learn to read old English. But the the King James that we have is comes from the upgrading or the updating in the 1780s. It has lasted, as I've said, over 400 years, and it has been the Bible that has brought about the great work of redemption and the great work or told about the great work of redemption and, and was used of the Lord in bringing about the salvation of great numbers of English-speaking people, including here in America. And some say, well, I don't believe all of that, preacher. Well, I'm going to close with these verses of Scripture. Look to Romans chapter 3. Look with Romans, Romans 3, verses 3 and 4. What if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, and but every man a liar. I'll take the word of God when Jesus says, Heaven and earth shall not pass away. Or shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Or, I'm sorry, 4 and 5. He said, In my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Would you understand that? Underscore that man's wisdom. But in demonstration of the Spirit and the power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, yeah. but in the power of God. Yeah. You see, man is impressed with his wisdom. God isn't. Because chapter 1, verse 20, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And once again our text, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we have Your inspired Word. It is the rule and faith of our practice. It is that which You've given to us as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray, Father, that we will follow that Word, cherish that Word, read, study, believe, and put that Word in our hearts, hide it in our hearts, that we might not sin against You. Help us to this end, and we'll give You the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.